0: Hello. Welcome to the Market Weekly podcast. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist. I have the pleasure to be joined this week by John Stevenson, Senior Portfolio Manager, to discuss the outlook for healthcare stocks, uh, which is certainly still very much a timely topic. But when I think back to certainly my initial thoughts when the pandemic broke out, and, and I would imagine a lot of people thought, Perhaps the same way that as bad as the pandemic was, it really should be something that ultimately was positive for the sector. Uh, in the near term, you know, we'd be focused very much on treatment, searching for vaccines. And even in the medium to long term, one thing certainly that the pandemic seemed to show up was a previously a lack of investment in healthcare, And then therefore the need um, to spend more to be better prepared for any problems that might arise in the future. Uh, However, if you look at the performance of healthcare stocks, uh, it started out well, and initially the sector outperformed, but subsequently uh, it's underperformed, Uh, again, I think uh, as a surprise to a lot of investors. And I think particularly if you look, for example, say at Pharma, uh, which you would have thought perhaps would would benefit. So I guess my first question, John, is uh, what happened and how, I guess, in general, has the pandemic impacted healthcare both temporarily and for the long term? So, yeah, I mean, it,
1: what I'd say is initially, you're right, healthcare did outperform during the depths of the initial shock, which, um, which really started um, in earnest in, in March, even though the first infections happened very late in 2019, and we started to get some percolating spread globally in the early part of 2020, things really got shut down in the beginning of, of March. And so, from that point forward, when the global economy shut down because we had a complete inability to detect the virus and to treat and prevent the virus, um, healthcare outperformed and drug stocks outperformed for uh, you know approximately a month or so. Now, after that point, um, I think the investment community and the globe, broadly speaking, got a little bit more comfortable with um, signs that the that the country and the world was getting its hands around some of these key fundamental questions, including diagnostic, testing infrastructure, developing vaccines and therapies. And and also, um, the infection count started to kind of peak and come down a little bit as the weather got warmer and people went outside and were less um, tightly confined in relation to one another. And so, as a result, I think um, you saw investor focus quickly shift towards the reopening play and that happened at the same time as um, as investors remained kind of concerned about the potential prospects for uh, some regulatory reform uh, on on key areas of the healthcare market, most notably uh, the drug stocks. So that's kind of what happened. Now, looking at the impact of the pandemic, I, I kind of bifurcated into two areas. You have the short-term implications and the longer-term repercussions of that. Now, as I mentioned, initially we couldn't detect and treat, so we had to shut everything down. So just like everything in the economy, healthcare shut down as well. All elective and most non-elective procedures were canceled. Office visits stopped, and we actually went online to a virtual world. Um, You had significant uh, investments from providers in surge capacity, which brought a a massive bolus of of bedside monitoring equipment so that they could handle surges uh, today and in the future. Um, we saw a reduction in volumes for surgeries, visits, even emergency room visits uh, went down precipitously for things such as heart attacks and strokes, um, which we can get to in terms of how that impacts uh, the world. Um, diagnostic infrastructure, we had a mass scale global uh, investment in testing capacity for all modalities, whether or not it's molecular testing or, or other modalities of testing, because we needed to figure out where this virus was. Uh, and and therefore, figure out who the patients were, isolate the patients, and then slow the spread. And then we had a mass-scale effort that was uh, both in the industry and governments to deal with uh, developing uh, therapies and vaccines. And then I think the other thing that we can't uh, ignore is the fact that as a result of this pandemic and the differential impact that it has had on different populations, both within the U.S. and across the globe, um, we've seen... Uh, this pandemic kind of highlight the inequities within healthcare, um, broadly speaking. So then longer term, when you think about what are the implications are, and if you think about the short-term implications and and translating that forward, well, we learned that a great proportion of visits and interactions can actually be handled in a virtual world. Um, There's a lot of things such as behavioral health, nutrition counseling, um, triaging care, um, certain primary care functionality can be done virtually, and actually, there's a benefit of having all that information in the cloud and in you know directly uploaded into electronic medical record, and therefore you can have a more holistic uh, interaction with the beneficiary, which might actually result in better outcomes and better management long-term. We've seen um, that the rapid infrastructure investments in bedside monitoring, I think, is going to have a big positive impact on post-operative. Uh, care so a lot of people um, are on opioids after their surgeries and there are uh, known instances of respiratory failure and death because people are over sedated and there's no bedside monitoring equipment now in a post pandemic world all that bedside monitoring equipment can be diverted to the general ward for post-operative care and you're going to potentially get a reduction in post-operative mortality which is hugely positive for people. Um, you also, um, the unfortunate reality is that I think you're going to see a higher acuity for some period of time because delayed diagnosis of heart attacks and strokes means that it's going to be harder to get these people back to where they would like to be. And you've seen delays in cancer diagnosis. All of that's bad. But then on the flip side, there's some good repercussions related to the mass scale ramp in testing infrastructure because uh, if you think about, you know, flu testings, We've all had the flu you know, dozens of times over the course of our lifetime. I have a four and, an, and me, a five and a nine-year-old and, and they're Petri dishes. And I, So I've had the flu a number of times, but I have never had a flu test. But post-COVID, if I have flu symptoms, I'm going to have an increased propensity to want to go get tested. And that test is going to be a multiplexed assay that can test for flu, COVID, and a couple of other different variants. And so I think you're going to see a greater propensity for the population to be tested in the U.S. and outside the U.S., and that actually may help have societies and countries more quickly get their arms around potential outbreaks in the future, um, which is a clear positive. Uh, when you look at the vaccine infrastructure, I think that the confirmation that we have uh, a new vaccine construct with messenger um, RNA, which uh, we can we can now look. At, at a potential pandemics that arise, once you sequence the genome, you know what the, the what you have to code for. You insert that into the complex, and you have a more modular, scalable, more rapid development timeline for future vaccines, which makes us more resilient as a glo- as a global healthcare economy. And then, lastly, I think that as I mentioned, the inequities highlighted the need uh, to to really in the U.S. certainly. Uh, invest in more value-based care and try to have a holistic uh, experience.
0: Very interesting. I mean, absolutely many, many uh, short-term and long-term implications of the pandemic, and a lot of them uh, I'm sure we've really yet to to realize. You mentioned at the beginning in terms of one of the factors that perhaps was a drag on this sector was concerns about uh, changes in regulations. We have a new administration in America uh, that's led to A lot of changes, uh, certainly on the spending front, uh, changes around attitudes towards uh, climate change, but also potentially significant changes uh, in how the U.S. addresses healthcare. And you mentioned during earlier discussion uh, how significant the U.S. market is. So even if at times we're talking about the U.S. healthcare market, uh, what happens in the U.S. often has quite significant implications globally. So can you talk a bit about what is the regulatory uh, environment. How is it changing, and what might that mean?
1: Yeah. So I, I you know, the, as you as you noted, the U.S. is a very important healthcare economy for all global companies. It's the single biggest uh, healthcare market in the globe, um, and so it does matter, and it has weighed on on the and the universe of stocks uh, for the better part of two plus years. Now, the key issues that people worry about are two things. One is the risk that the U.S. government would step into the insurance market in a much greater way uh, and and move the US market towards more of a European model uh, with a government-based insurance uh, and government-run insurance program I don't see that as viable um, and I'll get into some uh, quick things on that in a second the other issue that has been um, very much at the forefront of investors minds has been the risk for drug price uh, d- drug ref- um, industry reform because we know that drug prices in the US market are much higher than they are outside of the US uh, for a number of reasons now I would expect that there will be some potential policies on both of these issues over the next 12 months but I'd also say that I think that the ultimate policies will be very manageable on both of these issues now looking at government insurance specifically Um, We may hear some noise about the inclusion of a government-run option on the individual healthcare exchanges. And we may hear about the possibility that Medicare eligibility, which is the um, U.S. insurance uh, policy for elderly individuals, 65 and above, that eligibility could be reduced to 55 and above. So those are two things that are thrown out there as possibilities. I actually think they're less likely to happen. I think what is more likely to happen is that we see an expansion or, or, or an enhancement of the subsidies uh, provided to, to uh, individuals for the individual exchange market. And what that would mean is that uh, it would bring more people into the insured population, enabling better underwriting of, of this individual market which means lower uninsured, uh, uh, lowered rate of uninsured, and frankly, lower premiums for those who are on the exchange already. So it's a clear positive. The other thing that could happen is more at the administrative level, where the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, otherwise known as CMS, um, could actually uh, start trying to initiate more pilot programs to test alternative ways to drive greater value-based um, initiatives in the marketplace. And ultimately, that's, I think, a very manageable issue because if you're investing in products and services that are positive for the three key stakeholders in the market, which are the, the patient, the physicians, and the payers, your serve products and services are gonna be adopted irrespective of what the payer environment looks like. So that's always been our focus. And so I'm not really that concerned about those sorts of initiatives. On drug price reform, there's a number of things you'll hear about in the press. Um, I think the vast majority of the things that sound very scary are not going to happen. What probably is more likely to happen is a piece of legislation that would look similar to a piece of legislation that was passed through the Senate Finance Committee two years ago. And essentially what the gist of that was, was that they were focused on limiting future drug price inflation. To something more analogous to, to consumer price index um, and then they are looking at reducing out-of-pocket uh, expenses for consumers which is then a, a major drag um, and a major problem for consumers It's essentially a tax on those who need need care and then it's also uh, seeking to potentially reform Medicare Part D and and for those who don't know the Part D program is the is the drug uh, the drug component of Medicare And so what it would do is essentially increase the proportion of the expense that was covered by the pharma industry. So a lot of people have speculated that those in aggregate would save the government $13 billion a year, $130 billion over 10 years. And so it could be used as a potential pay-for for for investments in infrastructure or enhanced subsidies uh, in the insurance market. And those were all very manageable for pharma. In fact, pharma has openly stated they're more than willing to do that. To do that. So I think that would be viewed by investors as a very uh, reasonable outcome.
0: So a lot a lot going on. Uh, if you've got to think about your expectations for healthcare stocks for the remainder of the year, trying to assess the evolution, uh, clearly, of the pandemic, now in many places slowly coming out of lockdowns and opening up, the regulatory risks that, that you see ahead, valuations, uh, when you put that all together what is your outlook then for healthcare stocks for the rest of the year i
1: think that from here the outlook is relatively good um as we noted year-to-date the sector has underperformed investors have had a preference for cyclical post-covid recovery investments there's been this fee- underlying fear of government regulation and and the other thing i'd throw in there's more recently there's been some noise about the federal trade commission uh, which is um, you know in the u.s looking increasingly scrutinizing potential biopharmaceutical mergers and acquisitions. Um, and all of this has created some anxiety in investors. And that's the baseline from which we're looking today. It's created this, uh, a situation where the sector in aggregate is at a reasonably high discount to the broader market relative to history. And so at this point, I think there's risk embedded in the, in the valuations of many of these equities. And that's a good starting place. Now, going forward, I see increasing clarity in terms of the key issues that have been concerns from a regulatory perspective, and increasing clarity, so long as that ultimate outcome is manageable, should be a clearing event for these stocks, which is favorable. And then from a fundamental standpoint, I really do feel strongly that the, the core secular drivers of growth in the industry, which have led to organic growth that outpaces GDP, those all remain intact. And those key drivers are... The aging population, which is seen across the globe, the fact that the U.S. has a has had a pre, uh, preponderance of exporting very poor lifestyles, which means more diabetic patients, more obese patients, um, etc., uh, and then and then evidence that as economies developing economies economies become richer, they inherently spend more on healthcare for their population. All of which means more healthcare expenditures for global. Uh, companies. And then on you layer on top of that something that's underappreciated is the impact that innovation has on creating new markets by addressing key unmet medical needs uh, and creating new markets most frequently in, uh, in the biotech and pharmaceutical areas where science has really advanced so rapidly that we're tr- starting to treat uh, conditions that could not have even been dreamt of being treated before. So all of these uh, fundamental factors are very much intact, and so I just I, I feel it's a very good setup.
0: Really fascinating insights, John. If I can summarize perhaps what you shared with us, uh, you explained a bit uh, the outperformance uh, that we had from the sector initially was followed by some underperformance driven by a kind of a quick reorientation of investors' focus towards the reopening as opposed to the lockdowns, concerns about perhaps an increase in, in regulatory risk. Uh, At the same time, we also needed to appreciate that while we were in lockdown, even if there was an emphasis put towards addressing the pandemic, many other things were simply shut down. So a lot of treatment, a lot of care stopped, and clearly that had a significant impact on the sector as well. Uh, If we think about the longer-term impact of the pandemic, one thing certainly uh, that we've seen not only in healthcare but in, in many other areas, is how so much more can be done virtually than we ever would have conceived of before. So that will, without doubt, have an impact on the sector going forward. And perhaps another benefit from everything that we've been through, uh, we're all gonna be tested more often. And the good thing is that that will probably identify problems sooner rather than later. Uh, You mentioned particularly around the regulatory risks, say uh, US government involvement in the insurance industry or price controls that, Right now, without doubt, some uncertainty, but you thought whatever is likely to be implemented will be manageable by the industry. and That actually feeds into what is your positive outlook for the sector currently. On one hand, if you look at the underperformance of the sector, that seems to reflect the concerns that investors have. As a result of that, valuations actually are attractive uh, compared certainly to other sectors. And as this regulatory uncertainty in particular lifts, that should give an opportunity for valuations to normalize. And then, you know, as important, if not more so, if we think about the long-term dynamics for the sector, aging population, uh, greater levels of treatment, that all should drive strong earnings growth in the future. And in the end, that's really what matters for equities. Right. Yeah. Well, that's all we have time for today. If you have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your BNP Paribas asset management contact. My thanks to John for sharing his insights. Please join us next week when I'll be speaking with Delphine Ryu to talk about inclusive growth. Until then, we hope you stay safe and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BMP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.